0: All right, I'm Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, thanks for coming. I'm excited you're here. I get the honor and privilege of unpacking the Word of God uh, with you and for you. And uh, I'm going to be at the doors on the way out. So if you're new, uh, I would love for you to introduce yourself to me. Uh, and uh, we can kind of get to know each other in a couple seconds in the huge crowd going out. You know what I mean? Um, But before we get into the Word today, uh, I just wanted to rejoice with you a little bit about something. Last week, uh, we had our largest regular Sunday attendance in the history of our church. Isn't that crazy? So that's pretty awesome. Um, I feel like this section did way better at at (laughs) clapping than the side sections. But the other service, it was the side sections and the middle was not clapping. What's up with that? You guys know? Is it like an identity on the sides or anything like that? No, you didn't sign anything on the way out or the way in? Like, I will not clap no matter what happens? Okay, just making sure. Um, It's Daylight Savings Day, right? Uh, So you guys are excited about that. Um, I hate Daylight Savings Sunday. I don't know why they do it on Saturday night. I feel like they should do it on Friday afternoon at 4 (laughs) p.m. Because then if you work till 5, it's like, boom, I'm done, right? You jump up. You guys love this idea. You need to write it down, send it to your senator or whatever, right? Get some legislation in action. This is a a great idea. But they don't do that. They do it on Saturday night because they hate me. So... (laughs) Well, we had this huge Sunday this last week, largest uh, kids' attendance we've ever had, including Easter and Christmas and kids singing and all that, largest kids' attendance we've ever had on a Sunday, and so God is doing awesome things, uh, but that just kind of gets me into a, the largest kids' attendance just kind of gets me into a segue, you know what I'm going to say next? We need help in kids' ministry, so you guys need to like... Buck up, you know, make this happen. So we got a lot of kids over there, and praise God for that. But we'd love for you to, if you're not involved in a ministry and you have a gifting in that area, grab a volunteer uh, packet on the way out at the Welcome Center and get involved. We would love to see you in there so that we can handle the the growth that God is bringing. Also, that means Easter is going to be huge. Um, we expect it to be the largest we've ever had, and so um, we need... On Christmas Eve, uh, we, were, we were full in here. We were in capacity in first service. So we need uh, you to put your kids in kids' ministry on Easter. So regular attenders, uh, sometimes it's like, well, we'll keep them in here. The elementary kids, we'll keep them in here on Easter. Uh, but instead, put them in there so that we can have some room for our guests uh, that are going to be here. Uh, if you're, like, totally against that for some reason, whatever, it's fine. Keep them in here. But if you don't mind, uh, put them in there, and that would help us out a lot. Okay, ready for the word? Yeah. All right, let's get into it. So we are in a week six of our eight-week series uh, called Game Changers, where we're just looking at these different people in the Old Testament who uh, God used in miraculous and amazing ways to change the game for their nation, for their family, uh, for their time. And uh, so uh, it's, it's been a good series. Uh, we've moved from the Judge Deborah in 1260 uh, B.C., about 600 years, through King Josiah. We get that slide up there. Um, See if my pointer's working. It's working. Uh, So Deborah in 1260, uh, we moved 600 years to Josiah last week. Uh, We talked about King Josiah. In between there, we've got Samuel, David, and Elijah. Uh, The whole time we've been looking at some game-changing kind of attributes that we can emulate. And so we've talked about wisdom, righteousness, repentance, perseverance. Last week we talked about obedience. And so if you've missed any of that, make sure you get the podcast online uh, so that you can catch up. Uh, But today we're going to to be talking about Daniel. It's our sixth game changer, the prophet Daniel. So if you have your Bible, you can grab it and head over to the book of Daniel, and we'll get there eventually. Uh, We'll be in chapters 2 and chapter 6. So Daniel 2, Daniel 6. But to help you get the context, let's throw up a map on the screen uh, that we've used the last two weeks. Uh, This is the map of the divided kingdom of Israel. Uh, Basically, 10 out of 12 tribes seceded, went north. Uh, The kingdom of Judah stayed south. That's Judah and Benjamin, and then in seven twenty three B C, is that date right? Yeah, seven twenty three B C. The Northern Kingdom of Israel gets conquered. They have nothing but bad kings up to that point. God, His judgment is that they are conquered. Uh, But Judah doesn't last very much longer. Uh, than Israel. And and so they are conquered also by uh, a group or a nation, an empire called uh, the Babylonians. And the weird thing about Judah being conquered uh, is that they do it in kind of three different waves. And so they take, the Babylonians take uh, the the people of Judah uh, out in three waves and they take them captive and back to Uh, the Babylonian Empire, and so they they do it by socioeconomic status. They take the nobles first, the middle class, and then they take uh, whoever's left. And so uh, in our context, when we're talking about uh, David, I mean, I'm sorry, Daniel, Daniel is right in the middle of that, and he is part of the first group that's been taken captive. So he is a slave slash captive of the Babylonian empire. Uh, He's one of the nobles from Judah. And so that's where he is. That's his situation. The Babylonians at this time are under a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, right? You've heard of this guy before. Maybe had trouble with his name sometimes, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, so that's Daniel's situation. He's got some friends with him. Um, The most famous being Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You guys know them, right? Um, They go by some other names, Babylonian names. Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys nailed it. So that's their Babylonian names. And so I'm there with them. That catches you up. This is Daniel's situation. And a lot is written about Daniel. The book of Daniel is 12 chapters long. Uh, Daniel's awesome. He's an awesome guy. You need to read uh, the book of Daniel and see. He's got this courage. He's, got, he's very trustworthy. Um, he is persistent. He's faithful. He's wise. And all of that is happening. All of that is true. But today, I want to talk to you about uh, Daniel's game-changing faith. Everybody say faith. Now, it's, it's Daylight Savings Day, so I'm going to have you repeat some things and read some things, and some of you, that's like the bane of your existence on Sunday mornings. You're like, how can I get through without actually saying what Pastor Jake says? Today, to keep you kind of—I saw some heads shaking or <laughs> nodding. That's me. That's me. Today, I want you to kind of preach with me so that you can kind of stay awake because you missed that hour of sleep and you like totally didn't see it coming, right? So um, you're like, whoa, we had to do that? I didn't know. And So you didn't go to bed early. You stayed up late, right? So preach with me today. But game-changing faith. Before we can kind of get into Daniel's story, we need to define what faith is. Because here, as I started to write this sermon, I really felt like if I just went right into Daniel and talking about faith, that we wouldn't have a common understanding of what faith really is. and so the question is what is faith I mean we use that word a lot don't we and in fact we use it somebody's listening he said yes so he's preaching with me Uh, some, some We use it outside of religious context. We use it outside of church. We use it in a secular way. We say things like, uh, I lost faith in that person or I have faith in that person. I just can't put my faith in this, this company or this politician or this whatever, right? We use this word faith uh, even outside of church. It's not just a church term. But what do we mean by faith? Is it belief? Is it confidence maybe? Maybe it's trust? What about within the context of our relationship with God, within this context? What do we mean when we say faith? Is it, is it synonymous with belief? I mean, it seems like belief is a part of faith, isn't it? At least a part of it. I mean, in a sense, to have faith is to believe, right? But is belief in something the same as having faith? I have no idea. You're dismissed. I'm just kidding. Faith is more than just belief, isn't it? Would you agree with that? It's more than just belief. It's more than just believing that something happened or something is true. It's more than intellectual assent. Faith is something different. It might start with belief, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because we all know people in our lives who would call themselves Christian because they believe because they believe that Jesus was a real person and he is really God's son and really died for us and that those things happened. They believe with their mind that that is true. Therefore, they are Christian or maybe call themselves Christ followers. But you and I know that that's not the way it works, right? That you believe, but then you have to take a step and you have to surrender. There's something different that happens besides just like mind, head knowledge type belief, right? It's, it's deeper than that. Faith is deeper than that. And in that sense, though, we can talk about faith as this like all or nothing kind of deal. Like you either have faith in Jesus or you don't. Like you can't be partially saved, right? I mean, have you ever met anybody who's partially saved? Like partially Christian? What part of them gets to go to heaven? We don't know. But that's not that's not a thing. You're either in or you're out. It's pretty black and white. Like faith is, I have faith in Jesus or I don't. Saving faith. Everybody say saving faith. Saving, saving faith is all or nothing. We're either in or we're out. There's this scripture uh, that you've read before, seen before, heard before. Um, Ephesians 2.8 about salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. faith. So the grace part is you can't earn salvation. You don't deserve salvation. There's nothing you can do in order to get Jesus to save you, the Holy Spirit to save you. But that's the grace part. The faith part is, well, I receive that grace of God, and that's faith. I receive it through through faith. Faith is what allows us to receive the grace of God. You either have it or you don't. So that's one side of faith. All or nothing, saving faith when you first believe. But when we give our lives to Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus and it's real, isn't that just the beginning of our faith journey? Some of us kind of think that it's kind of the end, right? Like I, I walked an aisle when I was fourteen. I raised my hand. I did some. I got baptized. Whatever that moment is, and we're like done. I'm good now, right? But it's it's not that way. It's it's a, the beginning of your. Faith journey, that's one side of faith to begin to have all or nothing faith in Jesus. That's saving faith. But that's not the faith we're going to talk about today in Daniel. Because as we read the Gospels and we look at how Jesus interacts with people in need and he performs miracles and he teaches on faith, we we see another side of faith. We see stuff about having faith for something specific to happen like faith to be healed or faith for provision or faith to be set free, right? We see something different, a different side of faith. So then faith is not just about salvation. And Jesus talks about faith as something that is not black and white. They're there or not there, but rather fluid and fluctuating. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You can tell this mountain or this tree to be uprooted and thrown into the sea. It's just a little bit of faith. The size of a mustard seed. Doesn't that mean that we can have faith of different sizes? Doesn't it mean that faith maybe is not all or nothing or not this kind of faith at least isn't? He talks about having enough faith. Not just having faith, but having enough of it. That's Matthew 17. He says things like, where is your faith? That's Luke 8. One time, he's amazed by this one guy who has more faith than all these other people combined. That's Matthew 8. It almost seems like a bank account, right? Like you have a lot sometimes, and then you have a little. Some of you are like, I, my bank account isn't like that. <laughs> I just have a little, Right? But he seems like, it seems like he teaches about faith in a way that it's this fluctuating thing. A little, a lot, mustard seed. So what about this definition? Faith is the outworking of true belief. It's belief that moves. It's belief that moves. To have faith in Christ means that you not only believe in him, but that based on that belief, you surrender to him. And your faith journey begins. It's just the beginning because you're on this path to increase your faith and trust in God not only to save you spiritually but to intervene into your life, this life, physically, emotionally, maybe even financially, right? And that's a different kind of faith, but that's the faith We're talking about today in Daniel, the faith that God is going to do something here and now in this life. And not just that, I think maturity in faith is also when we begin to have faith not in God taking away problems and fixing our problems, taking away difficulties, but maturity is really having faith in the sovereignty of God that I'm going to trust him in spite of my difficulties and my troubles and my suffering right so there's that side of faith also we trust him in abundance and in lack in health and sickness when there are no problems and when problems never leave us that's faith but this can be misunderstood and it can get a little goofy here and there and So hang with me as I explain one more aspect of this. We can't talk about faith without mentioning the faith verse, which is Hebrews 11, verse 1. We'll throw it up on the screen. I want you to read this with me all together. Ready? One, two, three. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. The thing is, I'm not really sure we understand this passage I'm not really sure we get it. Like when we look at this and we read it, when it says the assurance of things hoped for, I don't think it's talking about the things we hope for in this life. That, like the assurance of the car that I'm hoping to get. Or the assurance of a good job. Or the assurance of an easy life. Or the assurance of a, even a solid marriage relationship. Like that's not, I don't think that's what this is talking about. I think it's talking about the, the hope we have in Christ like the big hope, not just hope for things in this world, but but the hope we have in Christ it's called in the scriptures the blessed hope or the hope of glory we 're talking about the eternal hope we have in Jesus Christ that faith is the assurance of that hope, right the hope that our wickedness And sinfulness has been exchanged for the righteousness of God in Christ. That we stand justified before a holy God. And and able to approach him because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That hope for eternity. Faith is the assurance of that hope. And then it says faith is the, the conviction of things not seen. And this is where things get a little goofy if we're not careful. This is where the hyper faith. Like name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it. People, come in. And you'll have people saying, don't look at your circumstances. Don't believe what's happening in your life. Don't believe the doctor's diagnosis. Don't say you're sick. Don't say you're depressed. Don't say you're struggling. Because then you're claiming those things as reality. You're claiming those things. So your head's all stopped up and you're, You're hurting, right? And you're like, oh gosh, I think I might have a sinus infection. And your friend's like, don't say that! Don't claim that over yourself! That's, no, you're not sick. Say it, say it with me, say you're not sick. I'm not sick. Okay, I'm not sick. Um, But do you have any aspirin for this not sickness in my head? Right? It gets a little goofy. I can, people say you're causing yourself to have cancer because you keep saying that you have it. You're causing yourself to have financial problems because you keep saying you're broke. You don't have cancer. You aren't broke. You're not sick. Faith is the conviction of things unseen and the logic basically goes like this even though you can't see it faith says that it's there faith says that it's there and so I see the sickness what I don't see is the healed me therefore I have faith that the healed me is the reality and it's what is and I speak to that and not what I see and it's getting really confusing isn't it it's getting really really confusing Faith is the conviction of things unseen, it says. So faith becomes the chronic denial of things seen. But is that what this verse means? That we deny what we see? I think it's saying something different because faith faith is based in reality, not fantasy. Fantasy. Faith faith is based in reality, not fantasy. So that's what we're talking about today. When we say faith, we're looking at this side of faith over here that is what Jesus said, you know, enough faith, or faith the size of a mustard seed, faith to see things happen. But it's based in reality, not fantasy. So when we talk about faith today, that's what we're talking about. Let's look at the game changer, Daniel. His whole life is pretty incredible. And at the end of the book of Daniel, God gives him this amazing prophecy that we're not even going to get into uh, that you need to look at this week. Make sure you read that. But what I want to highlight for you are two times where Daniel kind of... um, represents what we mean by this kind of faith. He shows us its examples of what we mean by this kind of faith. The king of Babylon, the first one in Daniel 2, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, um, had had some trouble uh, with some dreams. He's having some troubling dreams that he thinks aren't just the bad pizza he had the night before. Like it's something deeper than that. There's more meaning. And so he wants to figure out what these dreams really mean. And so he calls together his wise men and sorcerers and enchanters and astrologers and he calls them together and he goes i want you to tell me the interpretation of my dream and the wise men are like oh sweet we could totally do that oh great king um what is the dream and nebuchadnezzar is nobody's fool he goes you know what i'm not going to even tell you what the dream is because if i tell you the dream you'll give me an interpretation but how do i know that it's right How do I know that it's miraculous, supernatural? And so he goes, you have to tell me what the dream is. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And then interpret it for me. You have to do both. To which the wise men are like, what? We can't do that. Like, that's not even, no. So they keep going back and forth. Just tell us the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to tell you the dream because then you'll just give me interpretation and I won't know that it's correct. And so this thing happens and Nebuchadnezzar ends up getting furious with the wise men, this group of people that are giving him counsel. And he decrees, sends out a decree that they're to die. Everybody in this group, this class of wise men is to be slaughtered. Inter the prophet Daniel, and Daniel too, because Daniel is a part of that group of people. He's a wise man. Even though he hasn't been asked to interpret the dream yet, he's in trouble. He's going to die because his higher-ups have not been able to tell the king what his dream is and what its interpretation is. So we pick it up right there in Daniel chapter 2, verse 16. It says, and Daniel, when he finds all this out, he went in and he requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now there's a problem here. Daniel doesn't have the interpretation. He doesn't know what the dream is. So he makes this appointment with the king to tell him the interpretation, tell him the dream, and he doesn't actually know what the dream even is. And he makes this appointment. I know this is true because of the next verse, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his his companions, verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven Concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of. Babylon. And so this is game-changing faith. This is the game-changing faith that I'm talking about in Daniel. Daniel doesn't even know the dream, doesn't know the interpretation, and yet he sets an appointment up with the king. I got you, king. I'll tell you what it is. And then he runs to his friends like, hey, you guys need to pray. Like, hold a prayer meeting because here's the thing. I don't really know what it is. And I'd rather us not die. And so can you pray that God would reveal this mystery? Because I, I, I made this appointment, but I don't really know what to tell the king. I don't really know what to tell the king. So he has this faith, this is outworking of, of his true belief. It's belief that moves. He believes God doesn't want him to die and that God's able to give him the dream that he needs to Talk to King Nebuchadnezzar about. So he makes this appointment and he gets his friends praying. Look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the Lord or the God of heaven. So God ends up revealing the mystery. He steps out in faith. God reveals the mystery. Now he has something to tell the king. He didn't have everything he needed. Daniel, in this in this example, he doesn't have everything he needed. He, does, he doesn't have all of the boxes checked. He doesn't have all the questions answered. And yet he knows that God doesn't want the wise men to die, at least the ones from Judah. He knows that God doesn't want them to die. He knows that God is able to save him, that mysteries are revealed by this God of heaven. And so he steps out in faith, doesn't know the answer, steps out in faith, makes an appointment, and God shows up. Now, look at verse 26. Daniel goes to the king, and I love what he says to the king in these verses. It says in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 2, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Verse 27, David, Daniel, I should say, answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven. Listen, beloved, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what answers you seek this morning. I don't know what problems you're facing. But listen, no wise men, no enchanters, no astrologers will be able to to fix your problems. No amount of self-help will fix it. No crystal ball psychic will know the answers. No guru will have what you need. No amount of money can take care of it. No man can be the answer. No woman can be the answer. Alcohol will not help. A new car will not help. A new dress will not help. A book will not help. No politician, no political party, No new policy will erase the evil ahead of you and the cloud surrounding your mind. Science does not have the answer to the confusion and the darkness that you were born into. Because science only sees what can be seen. But faith sees the unseen. So I'm here this morning to declare to you, just like Daniel declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven. It's daylight savings time. It's fine. That's a win. That's a win on daylight savings time. You know what I mean? That's a win. There is a God in heaven. Because listen, we said faith is an exercise in reality, not fantasy. But I want you to hear this, too. Faith in the God of heaven can change your reality. Faith changes reality. But just like Daniel, sometimes God wants us to go before he gives us the answer. Daniel made an appointment before he had an answer. But we, you and I, don't we want the answer before we go? Aren't we like, okay, God, here's my 37 answers, our 37 questions. We've got them all listed out. Boom, boom, we'll answer all those, and then I'll take a step. Don't, don't you and I, we want all the boxes checked. Aren't you and I living by like an Excel spreadsheet? We're like, oh, we got to do this. It's got to be. Some of you just looked at your spouse like, that is you. Right? If you don't know a person like that, it's you, okay? It's you. We live by the spreadsheet. We go, "Well, this is the pros and the cons, and this is the and I got to answer all these questions and and then once I have that all figured out, God, then I'll take a step." But that's not faith. That is I'm I'm telling you, that is not faith. Sometimes before you have the miracle, you have to make a move. In other words, sometimes God wants you to move before he does. That's not the way we like to do things, but there are many times in the New Testament that we can point to Jesus requiring a step of faith before he would allow a miracle to be released. In John 9, Jesus sees a blind man and he basically walks by and he starts to use the blind man as uh, an illustration, born blind, uh, a a blind man as an illustration as to why God doesn't do karma. You can read it. It's a different message for a different day, John 9. Uh, But it's the time that Jesus spits in the dirt and makes mud and puts it on the guy's eyes. I don't want you to just read past that. Like sometimes you should, in the Gospels especially, be reading and just stop and go, What? Let me just read that again. Like That was weird. Like, Put yourself in this blind man's shoes. Just close your eyes for a second. I should say, put yourself in this blind man's sandals. See what I did there? Close your eyes for a second. Jesus is preaching, teaching. You can hear him. He's talking about you. You know that. And then all of a sudden, he kind of steps close, and you can feel his presence stepping before you. And and, like the crowd kind of hushes because it's, wondering what Jesus is going to do and there's this this holy silence as you wait. You can't see, but you know something's going to happen. And then you hear this noise. <laughs> and you're like, where did that just go? Right? You're like, what is, what's going on here? Right? And then you you hear Jesus kind of rustling through the sand or whatever, and everybody's still quiet, probably some ooh, you know, kind of thing going from the, from the crowd. And Jesus, you know, is working in the sand for a second, and then all of a sudden you feel this like warm, <laughs> like paste put on your eyes. And Jesus says, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do that because you just spit in my eye. No, but seriously, Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He hasn't seen yet. The guy hasn't seen. The guy has to take a step of faith. He has to move. Go to the pool of Siloam, wash. Then the miracle happens and he's able to see. Are you tracking with me? There's another time in John 5 Jesus sees a guy who hasn't been able to walk in 38 years. He asks the guy if he wants to be healed, which is an interesting question, right? He hasn't been able to walk. He's like, "Do you want to be healed?" And you just you're reading that going, "Yeah, of course he does." But as a pastor, I can tell you that many of you don't want to be healed. That you don't want to be healed. You like your, your your thing and that's a different that's a different message, a different day. But he asked the guy if he wants to be healed. The guy says yes, and he says, okay, why don't you just stand up and walk? And the guy's like, I've tried that. No, he didn't say that. But he stands up, begins to stand up and walk, and he takes a step of faith. He moves before the miracle happens, and he's healed. In Luke 5, Peter, who's a professional fisherman, is fishing, not catching anything from the shore. He's not that far out. Peter's not that far out. From the shore, Jesus goes, throw the net on the other side. And Peter's probably like, shut up. I'm the fisherman. You stick to preaching and I'll stick to fishing. He doesn't do that. He, he takes the net. He's not catching anything. Not a big ship. We're not talking about a ship that he's got to like get the net and go all the way across. And maybe there's some fish over here on this side. It's like a little boat, all right? So he gets the net, throws it on the other side, does what Jesus says, even in his area of expertise. Did you know Jesus is an expert in all areas? I'm just throwing that out there. But he takes the net and he, he puts it on the other side and catches this unbelievable amount of fish. Jesus wanted him to move. Jesus could have said, fish go to that net on the side that he was already on, right? But Jesus wanted, he required faith. He required him to move before the miracle happens. Here's the takeaway. A lot of times God requires you to take a step of faith, before he responds with faithfulness. Sometimes God requires you to take a step of faith before he proves himself faithful. Are you tracking with me? Let me show you the other time Daniel's faith is displayed um, in Daniel. There's other times too, but the second one, the one that I want to show you today, it's in Daniel chapter 6. Um, by this time, Daniel is respected uh, by the king in power. It's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore. It's Darius uh, because of his, Daniel's got these skills, right? Nunchuck skills and dream dream skills. And Nebuchadnezzar is, is gone. Darius is in. And Darius is about to, um, about to make Daniel like head over all the kingdom, basically. Like he's gonna make him second in charge. And uh, the, the, the Babylonian um, wise men in Daniel's class, they don't like that, right? They don't like that, and so they come up with this plan. They go to Darius. They know that Daniel prays a lot to this God of Israel. They don't really understand it, but he prays the God of Israel. He's weird like that, and so he goes. they go to Darius. They go, hey, we got a great idea, Darius. Oh, great king, here's, here's what we should do. You should make a law. Send forth a decree that for the next 30 days, everybody should just pray to you. Wouldn't that be awesome? And then we'll just make it a law that, like, if they pray to someone else, um, the lions will eat them. What do you think? And Darius is like, sounds good. So Darius liked Daniel. He doesn't realize what's happening. He's being tricked. And so he sends this decree out. If you pray to anyone besides me, Darius, in the next 30 days, you'll be thrown into a lion's den and you'll be eaten You'll die a horrible death. And so that's what's happening in Daniel 6. The king has made this decree. Look at Daniel 6, starting in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, all this is happening, he figures it out. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees Three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So the decree said if you pray to anyone other than Darius for 30 days, you'll be killed by lions. And so what does Daniel do? He prays to someone besides Darius. He just goes right towards it. He immediately prays to the Lord. He has faith that God is going to take care of him. The circumstances have changed. Like before this decree goes out, Daniel can pray freely. No problem. No, He's not going to die. He's not going to be punished. But now a decree goes out and all of a sudden, like in, in a day, he's not able to pray or he's not supposed to pray. He'll die if he prays. His circumstances has changed. Have changed. But what hasn't changed is his faith. What hasn't changed is the truth that he's based his faith on. His circumstances has, have changed, but the God that he pra- placed his faith in, has he changed? No. Faith goes beyond all that. So he goes and he prays to God. His enemies see it. They report it to the king. As soon as they do that, the king realizes he's been tricked, but he has to kind of follow through on this whole law thing. And so he follows through and he throws Daniel into the lion's den to be eaten. And then look at verse 16 in Daniel chapter 6. It says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, He has faith. He does everything he's supposed to He prays. And he gets thrown into a lion's den. Like he's not going his way. But then he has faith even in the lion's den, holds fast, and in the end God saves him. An angel keeps the lions at bay. Daniel is fine. And that's not all. King Darius sends out another decree saying, hey, let's instead of that worship me and and pray to me thing, let's all pray to, to Daniel's God who is the true living God. The God of Daniel prayed to him. And then the, the troublemakers, the wise men, the trick tricksters, he uh, takes them and tosses them into the lion's den. And the lions are full, I guess. I don't know. But they eat them. So that's what happened. This time, though, is different than Daniel 2. Let me kind of point something out to you. It's different than the whole dream interpreting thing in Daniel 2. Last time, Daniel prayed, and he was given the interpretation, and then he was promoted, right? Like he's given the interpretation. Nobody gets killed. He's promoted. It's this great thing. God changes his reality and his circumstances. This time, he prays, and he's thrown into a lion's den. So what we're talking about here, when we talk about faith, I want to be clear. We're talking about faith in God. Faith in God's will and his sovereignty and his goodness. Not faith in what you want to happen in your life. Do You see the difference? We're We're not having faith in good things. We're not talking about positive thinking here. Are you tracking with me? I want to kind of divorce this from that. We're not, co- we're not talking about positive thinking. This is not positive energy, right? Like I'm going to send positive energy to you and not receiving, right? I want to sp- just think positively and it will change my environment. Like That's not, that's not what, we're, what we're talking about. If anybody talks to you about positive energy in the context of the Christian faith, you need to, you need to run. You need to run the other Way We're not doing this if I believe it will happen, it will happen. Ferrari in Jesus' name! <laughs> right? That's not what we're doing. No, the faith we're talking about is one-directional. This is faith in God. His goodness, His will. No matter what His will might be. There's a great example of this earlier in Daniel in chapter 3. His friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah Refused to bow and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. This is a kids ministry favorite that you've probably read to your kids before. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. Um, There's three of them, but then there's four people in the furnace. They get saved. They come out uh, without any problems, uh, not burned at all. Uh, But it's something that they say, I want to point out to you, something they say before they get thrown in the fiery furnace. They don't know what's going to happen. They're about to die. It's Daniel 3. It'll be on the screen. They're talking to the king, and they say, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Did you hear what just got said? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing outside the furnace and they're about to be tossed in and they go, our God is able... We know he's able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we'll die here. They're going, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not going to act like we know we're going to be saved. Like we've seen it go bad for some other people, right? Right? Like we're not going to act like we understand everything. Our faith isn't contingent on us being saved from the fiery furnace. We have faith if we burn and die today that God is good and there is a God in heaven, right? We have faith that there is a God in heaven even if it means we die here. Listen to what I'm saying. Faith is based on reality, not fantasy. Faith can change your reality, that's true. But also... Faith is strength to face reality. We face tough, challenging, maybe even deadly reality with faith because we know that what happens to us does not change the truth that there is a God in heaven. That he loves us, that even though we can't see it clearly now, we're headed towards eternity with him. Our circumstances do not change our faith. Our reality in this life does not change our faith. Faith gives us the strength to face our reality, even if it never changes. Sometimes that reality, it can include a lot of suffering, right? I mean, I'm not here to lie to you. It's not all cotton candy and rainbows out there. Listen, beloved, faith does not mean everything happens how we want it to happen. It means we accept God's will whether our life happens the way we want it to or not. It means we accept God's will no matter what happens. We trust his goodness no matter what. Faith says, if he heals me, I'm good. And if I'm sick the rest of my life and I die from this sickness, I'm good. God is good, right? Either way, he's good. Good. If he takes this suffering away, then he is worthy of my life of service. God, if you take this away, I'll serve you forever if you take this suffering away. Faith says that, and then it says this over here. God, if you don't take this suffering away, if I suffer from this day forward until I die, I will still serve you. You are still worthy of the rest of my life of service. Do you see the difference? This is true faith. Faith remains whether you have everything your heart desires or none of it because it's not based on your circumstances. It's based on the never-changing truth and nature of God. There is a God in heaven. That's faith. And that's The game changer, Daniel. Next week, Queen Esther. If you want to read the book of Esther this week or at least look it over. But let me ask you do you want to be a game changer for your marriage, for your kids, your neighbors, your community, your church? What's stopping you? Maybe. Maybe it's faith. Maybe you need to pray for the faith. Of Daniel. Let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word that cuts deep into our hearts and souls and your truth that is always true. We ask, God, that I guess I, I, I want to pray the prayer or ask the question or have the request that the disciples had when they say, we believe, but help us with our unbelief increase our faith. That's that's my prayer today, that supernaturally you would increase our faith. And then also I want to pray that our understanding of faith is, is right and true and good based on your scriptures, that we understand that if it's faith, it's, it's there no matter what we face. That we have faith in your goodness. And Jesus, just like we talked about at the beginning of this message that there is a kind of faith that's a saving faith a once and for all kind of all or nothing kind of a faith in you that leads to surrender to you there's that side of faith we weren't really talking about that today but Lord I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has not yet taken that first step of faith not yet had that that saving faith that leads to surrender I pray that they not leave this room without giving their lives over to you completely. I pray that they not leave here without praying with someone, telling someone, talking to someone about what you just did in their lives, and then give them the courage and the level of surrender and the faith it takes to to get baptized here in the next couple of weeks, Lord. I ask that you would protect what has been planted in their hearts in this decision. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. It's always exciting when people give their lives over to Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, it's always exciting. Why don't you stand with me? We're out of time, but here's my prayer for you. May your faith be based in God's truth. May your faith change what you see and how you see it. And may God give you faith that holds you steady no matter what comes your way. Make sure you go to Life Group this week and talk this over. And like always, I want to challenge you that just like today, you've been helped to take your next step towards God. Don't let it stop with you. Make sure you talk to somebody. Open the scriptures about Daniel. Talk to somebody about faith this week. Be a Jesus follower who makes the disciples other Jesus followers. If you need to leave, you can sneak out. Otherwise, there's prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you. And then we'll sing this song. We'd love for you to sing it with us. God bless.